This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, <sighs> and from June gloom overtaken Los Angeles, Rog, the crap part of West Hollywood. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, David, we here, we back. Oh, I'm here physically in New York, but I've got the same heart. It's still in Portland, Oregon, Soccer City, USA. I adore that place. Yeah, I feel like I dreamt it, Rog. I feel honestly feel like Portland was a dream. It is a dream. It's a dream city. By the way, it's a dream city because it's an American city, but it's one in which the football stadium just pulsates, just radiates in energy out to the rest of the city. It puts out an energy... But it also seems to soak back in and receive energy that it refracts back that unique kind of slightly off kilter vibe of the city. And I love it there. I can't get enough. It's this sort of nirvana in which women's football reigns supreme. Well, not, well so supreme as in alongside men's football, the lesser game. Oh, hopefully a taste of the future in many, many American cities. And I will say... There was a reason we both wanted to be in Portland for that first U.S. women's national team game of the World Cup. We wanted to ask the question, which I think is really the big one, medium term, coming out of this World Cup. Why Portland and Portland only right now in terms of the 17,000 fans they get a game? Why just there? Not just in America, but the rest of the world too. But I only really care about America. Why is it just Portland where they've been able to build this dizzying culture behind the women's football team, massive numbers, and please God, may Portland be a pathfinder, a trailblazer for more American cities of the future. We just need 10 of you cities to step up. Yeah. It's funny, you say you don't care much about the rest of the world, Rog. I don't. But I would posit that what's going to happen post this World Cup, where frankly, the ratings definitely are, are good in the US and, and up on 2015, massive, up on 2011. Massive in France, massive in France. But, but around the world, the ratings, France, Germany, the UK, and countries like Brazil, where it's never rated before. Mark my words, Rog, what is going to happen is someone else is going to really pump way more money into women's football. They already are. You're certainly seeing the English clubs do this. It's going to get on television and it's going to start rating from a professional basis. Those rights are going to be valuable. They could be scooped up by some American network showing those games, which will then shame, which will shame other American cities, other American brands, other American firms, other American broadcasters into supporting their own game. But it doesn't have to be that hard. It's not that hard. I mean, Portland, what Portland have done, they've shown there is a real business when you put investment in. You can get revenue out of that football club. It can be done. It can be done. I'm fascinated by the ratings. You, you read about ratings in Argentina. You read about ratings in Brazil. The yeah. ratings in England make me tear with joy knowing just how hard it has been for the women's game there to not even to break through, but to, to be allowed to, to exist without being demeaned by wider society, they are way past that now. The rise of the Premier League, the investment the Premier League clubs have put in, the coaching that these women have received to close that gap is, is genuinely thrilling, Davo. God, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But American cities that are listening, step up. We only need, really, about nine more of you. To be candid, we probably only need owners 
more like Merritt Paulson, who are not kind of shopping with with coupons in the in the bargain aisle, but are putting serious money into the women's team as they do the men's, and it can transform this game in a way we all want in the long term. But the tour did not stop in Portland. We do not sleep, do we, Dave? No, it rolls on, Roger. Thursday. <laughs> Thursday, Rog, we will be in one of our favorite cities, Philadelphia, at the Theatre of Living Arts to break down the US's final group stage game against Sweden and to welcome the start of the Gold Cup, the Copa d'Oro, Rog. At time of potting, there are about 10 tickets for that uh, Philadelphia show left, <sighs> then the, a few more tickets for the Gold Cup. Then the following Tuesday, June 25th, <laughs> We're in Kansas City. I can't wait to go back to Kansas City, Roger. Figurative and literal cauldron of the American game. And Tuesday, July 2nd, we're back to Nashville, Rog. A few tickets to remain are available via meninblazers.com. Oh, we are uh, genuinely giddy. Kansas City, I can't wait to be back there. We've not done a live show there. We went there once together um, and genuinely just hung out in Oklahoma Joe's for the afternoon, a feat which I intend to repeat uh, but to go there, take the stage with Peter Vermes, who's long been a hero of mine, and to understand what that city has done uh, to build the remarkable fan base uh, is going to be the joy uh, of my summer. We've just released 40 more tickets in Kansas City uh, and then on to Nashville, where we've got a hell of a show. And I cannot wait to get out there for our Budweiser Football's Coming Home Tour. God, I love being out in America uh, in all sorts of delirious joy. We'll be raising a glass uh, in the pub after each of these live shows. So get your tickets now at meninblazers.com. We have a packed show. I have never, ever said, Rog, that we don't have a packed show or we have an unpacked show <laughs> or just a lightly packed show. We have a packed show today. We're talking the USA's 3-0 victory over Chile and asking, what do we really know about this team? It's that little thinking mm. emoji, Rog. We're previewing the US Men's Gold Cup campaign, which kicks off tonight, and we wave goodbye no one more enthusiastically than me, Rod, <laughs> to Maurizio Sarri. Farewell after Chelsea and the Italian reached terms on an annulment after their single-season smoke-filled marriage. Oh, he stubbed out his last cigarette in the Stamford Bridge dugout, Dave, and I, yeah. for one, am very sad. We'll get to that. But first, a toast. Oh, I want to raise my first third bud of the day to Gary Woodland. Uh-huh. Best wood, best American wood since Bobby. That great Topekan who was able to augment his peerless long game with an improved, oh, simplified, I'd say, putting stroke and an elite mental fortitude to win his first major at the US Open. I've got to say, I loved it. I genuinely, genuinely loved it uh, watching him. I mean, that chip under pressure, immense pressure on the 17th, Davo. I mean, you've done that shot many times before, but I was blown away by it. Well, so Pebble Beach, Rod, what a sight for a US Open. It's one of my favorite courses I've ever played in my life. <sighs> and just watching these players just tame that course. They had elements, those tiny little greens. Woodland sort of went out in the lead from the, from the start and sort of held off some of the best golfers in the world. It was an amazing performance. He's a, he is that rare American golfer who I have always always liked i've always liked gary woodland I'm very happy to see him win he's, a major he's like the lee trevino of the modern era everybody loves him uh, and he is utterly loved and he's more evidence if we needed it that our kids should play multiple sports he was a college hoops player he was a baseball standout he's not bad at the golf 
Greg Berhalter, if you're listening, give Woodland the Gold Cup call-up, baby. All of it made me genuinely have the tingling to think that you and I, in a couple of weeks' time, are going to be in Portrush, Davo, covering yeah. oh, the Open Open, the real in, Open. In our wellies. Oh, yeah, our Hunter wellies, mate. I just got yeah. mine today. I want to make a second toast because yesterday marked 25 years. Quite an emotional day for me, and I know it is for you too, since the kickoff of the 1994 World Cup. The USA World Cup, that landmark tournament, which forever changed the profile in the United States of this game irrevocably. Not overnight, as many had hoped, but I'd say slow and steady wins a race with the invention of the internet that was solely invented so it could bond and empower Americans to connect to the daily soap opera that is the English Premier League. EA Sports FIFA, which just sensitized an entire generation of young Americans to the Star Wars cantina of teams, tactical systems and clubs, the ecology of elite football. I'd say the dominance of the Premier League on our television, the evolution of MLS, and of course, repeat US women's glory. So Bud Fan, Blood Fan, I raise this glass, and I want to know what your memory of 94 is, Davo, to stonewash denim jerseys, to Diana Ross penalty kicks, Google it now, and the ginger-bearded face of American soccer that rose up back in 94 to 2026, Davo, and all that's to come. You know, I went to so many of those games in 94. I was a young television executive plying my trade at the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank. The Rose Bowl was just not far away. I saw so many games there. So many classics. And the final, I'll never forget that final. I was standing in a whole section of Italian fans behind the goal um, when Baggio hit that penalty like way over the bar in the penalty shootout. And it was just the heartbreak, the heartbreak of those Italian fans. And you turned to them and said, I need to start a podcast. And they said... Uh, what a caster. I, yeah. I will say, I lived in America. I just arrived during 94. You were at the games. I had no money. I, this was low-income Rog living in on a gang dividing line in Chicago in an apartment that had no furniture whatsoever. And it was the frustration of my life that the World Cup was going on in a city in which I lived in. I had no money to get into any of the games. And the second frustration that I had was the ratings were just joyously enormous on television and the stadium, they were packed still the best attended World Cup to this day, even though there's more teams now in the World Cup. The American World Cup still out attended them. But when I remember the games which were not in Chicago, I would go to my local bar and order the one beer that I could afford. And no one was in bars watching. It was genuinely the World Cup of being there, you know, just an experiential before Instagram even. But it was the same vibe to show people you'd gone to the circus as opposed to following the narrative game to game to game. And I would watch games. Uh, not even all the games were on television. I watched a lot on on your favorite was at Univision. And it would just be me in an empty bar with the busboys following along in a in a, in a game to game uh, basis. And thank God, Dave, how that has changed since then is uh, how far we've come, how fast in this country. And I raise my bud to that. Okay, we're done with the toasts. We want to add another do one. Want, do you want we a could third turn one? it to an element. We could do three toasts. Uh, mate, I'll raise a toast to you, Mikhail. Oh, Mikhail. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Okay, uh, okay, Rog, we're going to begin with the U.S. women's national team. Their 3-0 oh. victory over Chile in Paris on Sunday, coming off 
that closer than it sounds, 13-0 victory over Thailand, a lineup that included, <laughs> you've been reading the Thai media again, Rog, a lineup that included seven new starters. Seven new starters, Rog, we'll talk about that. Made quick work of the South American side, a Carly Lloyd brace and a thumping Come header. On, a near post, a near post header from Julia. It's had the US up three by halftime. But one of the performances of the tournament thus far from the Chilean keeper, Christian Endler, kept the US at bay for the second 45 minutes. The US, well, also a missed penalty. The US win their second straight, 16 oh, goals man. for, zero goals against, knockout round clinched, but yet to be tested. Rogelio. USA, USA. Oh, is a, let me be candid, a curious experience watching US group games at this World Cup, especially against these minnows, part-timers, who've had to claw and beg just to get stipends to train and travel to this World Cup. They barely, Chile, barely play a regular international game schedule. So you kind of know the result before the game. And the only question is, how much will America win by? And are they going to unfurl a Hulu goal celebration after scoring? Thank God, though, for Fox Sports, who just love to pump up the America to the 11. One of their broadcasters, one of my favorite moments of watching this game, proudly proclaimed pregame, over 75% of the stadium is wearing red, white, and blue. Forgetting oh, that Chile yeah. also, mm. you know, play in red. Red and blue. And what bit of white in there. And also, <laughs> your, your host, host country, France. That what's yeah. their, remind me what their flag colors are, Mikael. Uh, red, white, and blue? Yes, but America, our red, white, and blue is superior. It's true. Yeah, I mean, the game was a bit of a flat liner. And you've taught me you can only play the games before you, Dave. And this was a bit yeah. like watching your Chelsea play against Genk or Ghent. <laughs> I mean, the big talking point is the seven changes to the starting lineup. Jill Ellis. Oh, she's not, is she a proper manager? She doesn't smoke heavily during games. Who knows? Yeah, doesn't wear a waistcoat. Yeah, neither of those two facets, which yeah. really are. I mean, that's a trait I like in, in my leader. But she said she did this in the name of readiness for the entire squad in the tournament. Becky Sauerbrunn obviously back from injury. The rest was a second string run out. Davidson, Press, Pugh, Warhorse, Collie Lloyd up top. How do you feel? about so many changes this early in a tournament, Davo, Because to me, it was a bit of an A-plus for squad management, but possibly a minus for continuity and communication. Yeah, but you know what? Jill Ellis doesn't talk a lot about stuff. This is all part of this, you know, tight-lipped mentality, the idea that we're not going to look past qualification from the CONCACAF region. We're not going to look past, you know, Thailand. We're not going to look past Chile. We're not going to look past anything. And so we sort of discover what Jill Ellis is doing one game at a time in many ways. Does it really matter? I don't know. I think that it'll be interesting to see what she does in the final game, group game against Sweden. Definitely, you know, the toughest competition they're going to face thus far uh, during qualifying and uh, and the group stage. And we'll see, start to get a better sense of what she's going to go and do in the knockout stages, I would imagine. You know, producer J-Dub's theory was that she dropped the entire front line, your Alex Morgan, your Megan Rapino in particular, to try and just eliminate immediately the kind of flapping skin of the celebration story. Like if huh. Megan scored, if Alex scored... Uh, how would they, would they, what would they do? What message would they deliver? So you, you just don't play them and you mute that, the kind of celebration gate, which is oh, so wearing and so dull. But here's what worries me. Your first game, a cakewalk, and then you make wholesale changes in the second. And I, I don't want to be chicken little on this because I love 
the US and I love US women's football. And I know the wider sporting public in America just wants to hear womp womp. But you kind of have to look under the hood and ask yourself on these questions. And to me, making wholesale changes, it does create a danger of throwing a team off their rhythm. You know, I do have a slight worry about Barcelona, for instance, who rested their entire starting 11 in a league game before they played Liverpool in the second leg of the Champions League semi-final uh, last season and just came out so cold against Liverpool Football Club and were ultimately shocked and dropped out. In international tournaments, it feels even more important for players to be allowed to find their rhythm, their continuity, their consistency, their communication, especially in a back line where they need as many reps as they can get. And this team don't need to be rested yet unless we want fresher legs for more complex goal celebrations that they're working on in training, mm. David. I prefer not rotating the squad too much. I prefer a team getting used to playing with each other, getting used to the different you know, defensive looks that teams are showing you, figuring out like what you're doing around set pieces, like all of those things are important. But it was still, having said that, this was a dominant and I would say useful US performance. I think she learned a few things. Yeah, I mean, the first talking point, 12 minute in, slop in the Chilean bat line. And who was it that swooped on the ball to drop the hammer? Carly, Carly Lloyd, Rog. Carly, Carly Lloyd! Carly! 36 year old. Come on, Carly! 36-year-old, holy crap, nearly 37. First player ever to score in six consecutive appearances at a Women's World Cup. Even more impressive to me about this goal, she did it despite Juliet's doing all she could to try and destroy her. Juliet's, yeah. to me, as close as humans can get to those videos of robots that go viral on Twitter. You know, the, the ones where robots jump really high or smash through jaws or just genuinely beat up humans. Juliet is like future droid technology. And yes, she will try and break your ankles even when you're on her own team. It's what she's programmed to do. Well, no, she just knew that she was preordained to score a goal <laughs> in this game. She just was a little, as uh, Laura Linney would say, she was a little ahead of her moment. <laughs> I can't think of two humans more different, both amazing in their own way. Laura Linney. And Juliet's, but we will get to Juliet's in a second because it was an odd moment in the 23rd minute that we kind of sweep under the carpet, but we've got to talk about it. Chile, first real attack, only real attack, swung in a free kick. Guerrero, their attacker, completely unmarked, ran in on goal, but then our goalkeeper, Alyssa there, should have got the ball, but she flapped and whiffed, leaving the ball to trickle in humiliatingly into the empty net. It was a slow-motion nightmare that was thankfully flagged for offside. So everyone was able to say, yeah, 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 we knew it was offside. <laughs> we knew. Yeah, yeah, we knew it was yeah, offside. Yeah, That's why I flagged. Yeah, I flagged because I knew it was offside. Yeah, we didn't try. We didn't try. Yeah. But to me, this was Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's rule of drama that if you say in the first chapter there's a rifle hanging on the wall, in the second or third chapter it's absolutely got to go off it, if it's not going to be fired shouldn't be hanging there that back line that goalkeeping that has not yet been tested by thailand or chile but will but will to me and i hope i'm wrong i really do about this it's something that may come back to factor in this world cup when the u.s are actually confronted for now though no big problem the goals flowed and your mate juliet's got a meaty arizona forehead on that ball to make it 2-0 david I love, I tell you, one of my favorite goals in football is the near post header, Rog. The near post header off a sort of, you know, laser corner. It was a fantastic header, thumping. What, what do you thumping. love about it? What do you love about a near 
I like, you it, like the angles, the geometry. The love, it's the geometry, absolutely. I love the geometry of it. I love the physicality of it. I love how few players in the world can actually do that because the ball is coming at them. They are not perpendicular to the goal line. They're, they're, they're inside that post. They're ahead of the front post and they knock it back. The angles, it's, it's by definition, it is an obtuse angle header. It takes skill. It takes courage. It takes timing. You've probably got to have your eyes open kids to go and hit that header correctly really difficult to do anybody who's played any level of football and tried to hit that header it is so hard it usually hits you on your ear it's very alpha it's it very, is it's very potent it's very dominating technical point just because a game is in france does not technically make it a bt french forehead but then a second goal for carly second assist for 20 year old world cup debutant tiana davidson aka menlo park trent alexander arnold and carly wow second goal we should just for a second, take our hats off to Carly, who to me is a testament to hard work, to tenacity, to gutsiness. And also, slight problem for Jill Ellis, because Carly is completely convinced she should start, completely convinced. And she, she makes that utterly clear to us. She's making it, believe me, 10 times more clear in that camp, probably hour in, hour out. Watch this space for ongoing flare-up of political problems if things do not go well or Carly's way down the line, wouldn't you say? That's a bit of a selection nightmare. And also, look, both those uh, second and third goals from fantastic corner delivery, uh, Rog, and... You know, tough to see many nations in the world defending those corners much better than Chile did. Oh, yes, David, because that second half was all about Chile's backline. A huge respect, huge respect to Chilean goalkeeper Christian Enla, who was magnificent. I mean, one yeah. of her saves off press was like a move only she or Aria Stark could pull off. I mean, such reflexes. I looked at it, I thought... The athleticism of a young Bradley Guzan she's got. Huh. Um, yeah, I hope that that didn't get back to her. I think that, um, <laughs> you know, and it's interesting, right? Against Thailand and against Chile, the halftime score was three to zero. And how different the Chilean performance uh, was in the second half than, than, than Thailand's performance, yeah. Rog. And hats off to them. I thought that was fantastic. And goalkeeper's performance was sensational. I mean, to me, Enla was a symbol of... You know, women's football has made such huge strides, even while we've been covering it. And the goalkeeping position has often been one uh, that has languished. There's been a lot of talk about should the goals be smaller? What can we do to improve the quality? The, to improve the quality of women's goalkeeping, they should be advantaged the same technical goalkeeping coaching that their male counterparts get. Enla, anyone who knows that, has been training, has been grinding, has been pushing herself with some of the great uh, coaches uh, in the French League. And that's what you get when you fuse the elite athleticism, not just of her, but the Argentinian goalkeeper, Correa, also phenomenal. Uh, when you confuse the natural athleticism with the top-level technical coaching that these goalkeepers get, you can get goalkeepers who can get into players' heads. She got into Press's head. My God, she destroyed Press's thinking in that second half with a magnificence. Even Carly Lloyd, even the great Carly. And believe me, Carly wanted that hat-trick more than anyone has ever wanted a hat-trick before. I put money on that. Even she wilted uh, when facing uh, the Chilean from the penalty spot. A phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Yeah, I still can't figure out how that penalty missed. I had to watch it several times because I was pretty sure that it just went straight through the netting. 
<laughs> You're breaking news, Dave, like a big yeah. J journalist. But that was that. Yeah. All hail US women's national team. Well played. We made the knockout stages, baby. Without, and this is the truth, and I know Americans don't like to hear this because they love little more than American teams opening up a can of whoop-ass on other nations. USA, USA, USA. But we still don't know exactly how good this team are because of the quality of the opposition we face, David. We face two patsies. What can that tell us? Yeah, it doesn't tell us a lot, but winning is better than losing. And by the way, there have been a lot of quite fancy teams in this World Cup, Rog, who have you know, had much narrower victories around lesser fancy teams. And certainly we haven't seen anyone with the offensive dominance of the US women so far. So long may that continue. I mean, right now to me, when I watch them, they are like the University of Central Florida. Represent! Oh, I mean, they dominate the AAC. But we really never know how good they are because they're genuinely just smashing like your East Carolina Pirates. No disrespect to the East Carolina Pirates. But we've got to see, we've got to wait, we've got to hold our breath to see how this team measures up to a technically and tactically able team. I mean, Sweden are a good step in the right direction and then into that serious part of the tournament, the knockout test, before we truly get the measure. When I, Ali Krieger, who I love, she's a great friend of the pod, but when she said to the New York Times, we've got the best team in the world and the second best team in the world, I've got to say, it makes me worry when I hear that, David, that kind of quote that goes on every team's notice board in multiple Google translations. And look, let's face it, because of the nature of this tournament, they could end up playing a not very good team in the round of 16 as well. It could really be until they get into the quarterfinals, until they are really, you know, facing a, a, a tough draw. And that would be like <sighs> suddenly jumping into the cold water after swimming in the Caribbean, Roger. We will see what happens after the Sweden game, but possibly Spain... Uh, and then France away, and we will resume judgment. But I'll say there's a thin line to me between confidence, which is critical, and overconfidence, between focus and delusion. And I know this team have been through more than I can ever imagine with this equality debate. It's been grueling. It's been challenging. They've taken so much flack with this lawsuit ahead of this tournament. I can't imagine how elated and relieved they are to be back on the field and able to make statements, to take names, to kick ass again, which is where they're in their happy place. But I'll be honest, and maybe this is a residue of Englishness that's been left in me, I do worry. I always worry about complacency. I do worry about the assumption of superiority. And the one thing I want to see is, how can this team defend? How does this team defend? Because we still don't know. We still have no idea, none. We don't know how this team will react to going a goal down. We don't, we don't know, and nor do they, to be honest. I mean, Mike Tyson quote that you always love, everyone's got a plan until when, Dave? Until they get punched in the face. Yeah, ask Anthony Joshua. Ask him about that. Adversity shapes a team and ultimately determines titles, and we will not know how good this US team is until they face adversity. They've not yet, so let's hold off on declaring them champions after facing Thailand and Chile. A word on the Sweden game, because the US needs a draw to top the group and they'll ultimately play Spain in the round of 16. But winning the group would probably put them on a flight path to face the potent France in the quarterfinals. Would you, Michael Davis, Mikael Davis, would you game the system by throwing the match? No, absolutely not. I just never think that helps you. Says the Englishman who'd seen his team do that at the last World Cup, losing to Belgium to get into, you know, the easier side of the bracket. How did that work out for us, David? 
it worked out long enough until they lost to Croatia. It doesn't. It doesn't there's no point in doing it. No point in doing it. You, you want to focus on your own form rather than game the system. Jill Ellis, oh, she agrees. We want to win every game. If you get too much into overthinking or manipulating something, it doesn't send a good message. You can't overthink this. We will be in Philadelphia live in the wake of the Sweden game at the Theatre for Living Arts, which we both prefer to the Theatre for Dead Arts, which I think is just down the road. I cannot wait to be in the land of Wawas. I love the Wawa, Rog. I miss the Wawa. <laughs> I used to love the Wawa. Oh, can we go to a Wawa? I want to go to one. Yes, I love a Wawa, Rog. Uh, but it's easy to forget. There are, there are other teams playing in the World Cup, Rog. Italy, they've staked an early claim to be this year's tournament darlings. Meanwhile, La France, England and Germany all remain undefeated. Yeah, Germany being Germany. Three games, three wins, looking more and more dominant, playing themselves into the tournament, crushing South Africa after grinding out two straight 1-0 victories. France also perfect, thanks to some crazy VAR assists. I'm more and more starting to believe that VAR, Dave, it's a French word. Lavar, as in Lavar ball. And mm-hmm. it, me- it means hometown ice. Not mm-hmm. so convincing yesterday. Italy thrilling 5-0 spanking in Jamaica they look like the team most likely to do in England 2015 and use a World Cup to announce themselves to the world how are you feeling about your English lionesses they haven't exactly set the tournament on fire uh, so far but there's great individual quality on that team and I think we'll also learn more about them in their uh, in their third group game against Japan, Rog. They really are manifestation of their manager. I'd say the performances have been Phil Neville <laughs> against a tenacious, resilient Argentina. Thanks to Jody Taylor's first international goal in 40 months, they made it through. And I'll say huge credit to Argentina. It thrills me to watch them in this tournament. They've had to conquer the disdain and sexism of their own federation as much as confront their opponents. They had to sue their own federation to fight for $8.50 stipends per day to trade. England scored on their one stunningly flowing move, but will need a greater clinicality up front if they are to fulfill your dreams. Australia roaring back from being down 2-0 against Brazil and riding some VAR fortune and Sam Kerr majesty to win 3-2. After the game, Sam Kerr told an interviewer that Australia's critics could, quote, suck on that one. Oh, she is like the perfect mixture of Australia and her adopted city of Chicago, just when you thought she couldn't be any greater. Yeah, she's fantastic, Rog. My kind of woman. Oh, and the Thailand game gave us the loveliest moment of the World Cup, possibly one of the loveliest moments, sporting moments of the year, after suffering the, just the devastating humiliation, the pain, the embarrassment, the awkwardness of that 13 0 demolition the ties managed to score a goal i mean in injury time in a 5-1 loss to sweden some goals don't mean anything but some goals don't mean anything and can mean everything which i think is ultimately the joy of tournaments the goal instantly reduced their general manager who's also the head of one of the country's biggest insurance companies and the team's financial backer just reduced it to tears on the sideline. It was amazing to watch the reaction of the Thai players, of the Swedish players, huge respect to them, such a release of pressure and joy. It's a kind of beautiful, human, poetic, ennobling moment. That's why we watch sport. Well, that's not the only big tournament going on in the world, Roger. We've got the under-21 Euros 
And on these shores, the Gold Cup officially kicked off over the weekend at the Rose Bowl. And the U.S. men begin group stage action tonight against mighty Guyana, or as they're officially known, Cooperative Republic of Guyana. Makes it sound like a New York apartment that you have to sit down with the board before they yeah. allow you to, to, to buy or rent. Oh, U.S. men. God love them. God love them. What a brutal 18 months they, they've experienced. I mean, that brand, U.S. men's soccer, has fallen. And this is not a joy. This is a darkness, but something we have to talk about. That brand has fallen to such a degree that they're in danger right now of apathy kicking in, which is just the worst thing for a brand. You know, love's good. Hate's okay. But this team, David, don't they almost summon no feelings of, of not being alive and not even mildly in a place to engage the wider sports fan uh, in their games? Right now, it feels to me like the U.S. men are fighting to hold on to the interest levels of the frustrated soccer avid, David. Yeah, look, and we should, we should state some of the problems that have existed uh, over the last 18 months, Rog, for perhaps some new listeners who've joined us uh, since the Women's World Cup and want to know about the lesser men's team. Yep. So um, issue one is they are not women. Yeah. <laughs> issue two, they failed to make the World Cup after losing to Trinidad and Tobago yep. in a vital qualifying match yep. uh, that nobody ever saw them losing. They then took about 10 and a half years to appoint a new manager. Yeah. Uh, and it turned out to be a man of j- 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 or g- 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 in Greg g- 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 Berhalter. Which is, and, a, which is a bit like that moment in The Wizard of Oz where they pull back the curtain and you're like waiting for it to be someone just, oh my God, this is just going to be shock and awe. And it's, I mean, it's nice guy, Greg Berhalter. Nice guys can finish first. It was a bit, okay, we waited. We waited this long for that. Let's do it. You know what? Let's do it. And the football since then has been, how would you describe it? Uh, yeah. It's been a bit just chile did. at the World Cup, Rog, honestly. Without the goalkeeping performances, it's a, um, it hasn't been good enough. Not and it frankly problem. wasn't as good as it was when they just had a caretaker manager. So it's been worrying. They're going into a gold cup on home soil. This could be restorative. It could be something, could be healing, Rog, for them if they're able to lift that trophy or, love or excite the nation. But people, it's not just the team aren't playing well. It, fans aren't really attending the games in large numbers as well. TV numbers are not very good, Rog. All of and that, it's all slightly worrying. All of that. Well, Mexico are touring around the US playing games in Atlanta. I mean, playing games with delirious packed stadia to huge TV numbers in, in America's backyard. I mean, here's what I'd say is we kind of need the US to win the Gold Cup right now. We really do. I watched the last US game, a, just a unbelievable loss to Venezuela with an English mate who's never really watched the US before, may not watch them again. And he just turned around, just, he was watching with fresh eyes, new eyes, and he just turned around to me, he goes, why have these players given up on their manager? And I was like, oh, it just, yeah. it was like a dagger in my heart. I don't believe they have, don't believe they could yet. And we will see uh, in this run that starts tonight in the Gold Cup, the good news, our group is relatively easy. Guyana are 175th in the world, which I think is being kind. Even we shouldn't lose to the Golden Panthers. I think we can ride Will Trap to glory in this one. And then we face CONCACAF Assassins, Trinidad and Tobago. We don't learn our lessons. We will once again pit ourselves into battle against two teams from two nations, 22 players, two goals. It's very confusing. We don't know which one to shoot at. And then the potential banana skin, Panama, uh, in the third game. Big tournament question is... 
for the US ultimately can we do it on a sunny American night against Mexico who ultimately are going to be off foes somewhere down the line who themselves have had injuries to key players have had their own challenges and the new manager Tata Martino who wants to prove himself can they ride Wolves potent goal machine Raul Jimenez to glory we will see I have to say I wish the US was in the Copa America David Japan are that game come on Qatar Against good, good Guyana, as Greg good, good Berhalter calls them, is at Alliance Field in the great state of Minnesota. One of our favorite end states, Rog. Kickoff is. is at 10 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1, and where I'll be watching the goals flow. Unimas, Rog, Unimas. <laughs> it's going to be a way more exciting game on Unimas. Okay, Rog, we interrupt this international football podcast for news out of the Premier League. News that I just am literally... I'm shaking, Rod. I'm so excited. After just a single season in charge, he's a one-termer, Rod. Maurizio Sarri and Chelsea Football Club have consciously uncoupled. Nicotine cravings have repelled the Italian back to his homeland to take over at Juventus after what he admitted was a hmm, difficult year. A difficult year, but a glorious one. So I want to know, Davo. What? what? Maurizio Sarri has left this world, this world being the Premier League. Yeah. He's headed to Syria. To teach Ronaldo the joys of cool menthols. Uh, he was with us for such a short time. In Italian, I believe you call it a scaramucci. He never even had time to change out of his pyjamas. How do you feel about him as he exits? To say that Sarri was not beloved by the Chelsea faithful, Rog, is an understatement. He was also unpopular, it turns out, behind the scenes, on the training ground, amongst the staff, at the academy. Uh, amongst half the team that really just never played because he decided who he wanted to go and play uh, during preseason and never really moved from that lineup. Yes, he won the Europa League, Rog, a tournament that you've <sighs> widely derided and uh, <laughs> talked about King as less important than the Carabao Cup. Yeah, they but by the way, it, it, it taking place in Baku has changed my opinion. That is a, <laughs> that is a proper, it's a proper football tournament now, David. You're, you're pro Baku. It's a yes. They finished third, about seventy-four points out of second place. Um, league, you know, cup, around league, league Cup final league. memories. Yeah, they. Yeah, that was a good memory from Rizzo Sarri, wasn't it? So overall. Not a great season. Yeah, not a manager I think we're ever likely to see back in the Premier League either. He's made for Italian football. I'm not sure he's made for Juventus, but I think he's he's better off in Italy. I mean, we, we should uh, acknowledge he did win things, but he did F around with Kante, uh, which for me was unforgivable. He publicly squabbled with your goalkeeper slash player manager and generally experienced a darkness. And he leaves us as one of the all-time great one-season wonders bit like Frank Sabotka from season two of The Wire. Only Sarri spoke more. How are you feeling about the prospect of the Lamps era? Does he have the coaching know-how, Frank Lampard, after one season at Derby to lead a Premier League top six campaign? Or is it enough to you that, you know, he knows Chelsea? A bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knows Manchester United. Objection, leading the witness. Um, <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it was a somewhat leading question. You know what? Who knows? He's had one year in charge. It was a sensational uh, year by all accounts, just on the edge of taking Derby County, a team who'd been struggling previously, on the edge of taking them into the Premier League, just missing at the last hurdle in that championship to Premier League playoff. He is beloved by Chelsea fans. He is the consummate professional he is known and revered throughout that club, from the academy, from the youngest age groups, uh, all the way up. 
I think that this is a fan base that have been messed around for years, frankly. And I think this is a just just in and of itself, whether it works or not, just the fact that it's going to galvanize the fan base, I think, is a very good thing. I think that Chelsea, with the transfer ban, they've got to really look to their academy players. They've got to look to the diaspora of their squad on loan all over the world. And Not you, uh, Matt Miazga. And I think Frank <laughs> Lampard, uh, well, not after the performance against Venezuela, I think Frank Lampard um, is a guy that knows those players and knows um, you know, his way around that club. And I think he will do a really good job in what is bound to be a rebuilding year. Chelsea have lost their best player. Chelsea have lost Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard, I think we're going to see as he steps on the field for, for Real Madrid, is not just you know a really good Premier League player. He was just an outstanding player who kept them in so many games. I don't think it's going to be a great year, but I think he will be given time. And I, for one, if it happens, it hasn't happened yet, I will be delighted about it. You've still got Olivier Giroud. You've still got big game, OG. But how did you feel? I wanted to ask you, after watching Eden Hazard, after his $188 million move to Real Madrid, how did it feel watching him kiss the Madrid badge in front of a delirious crowd of 50,000 adoring fans in the Bernabeu? I have no problem with Eden Hazard. I have no problem with him kissing the badge. I wish him all the greatest joy and success at Real Madrid, Rog. He will never be dead to me, as many players who leave your club are dead to you. And by the way, some players who've left Chelsea have been dead to me. He is a... He served Chelsea. He was honourable every step of the way. He gave Chelsea a chance to uh, cash in. Once again, a superb piece of business for Chelsea. And he'll be cheered every time he comes back to Stamford Bridge. Oh, I've got to say, it was a wacky experience for me watching him. His big buttocks squeezed into that Real Madrid white. It was a bit like seeing the Can You Hear Me Now guy when he unfilled his new ad campaign for Sprint after all the, uh, those years. Who did he work for? Was it AT&T or Verizon? They all roll into one. Yeah. You're like, WTF? But here's the issue for me if I'm a Chelsea fan. Those buttocks, those beautiful, beautiful, meaty buttocks... They've been a centripetal force amidst years of chaos, years of glorious chaos at Chelsea. But they've always been there, those two peaches. Six managers in seven seasons have come and gone. Players have been bust, come and gone in our locker room. But Azard's bum was the one constant, and now it's gone. Does chaos just rise up and overwhelm the locker room like the flood level in Venice? We will see, David. We will see. Okay, Rod, so much football going on this summer, not just the World Cup. And Gold Cup, we've got Copa America, the Euro Under-21s, MLS, and WSL. Cast your Jägermeister baited hook into the football pond and give us a prediction, Rogelio. Yeah, this is the worst of times to be alive in many regards. We've got no Premier League, no NBA, no NHL, no NFL. But it's the best of times. We've got the Women's World Cup. We've got the Gold Cup, uh, which is making not the greatest amount of noise yet. And the Copa America which is underway deliriously in Brazil in all its wonder and glory. It's always a tournament that is so hard to call. This year's no exception. You've got Rich Arlison's Brazil. Yeah, Rich Arlison's Brazil praying for glory. You've got Colombia. You've got Chile. You've got Uruguay. I put a ton of money on Qatar. 
a whole of those teams standing in their way. And the big question is, how will Lionel Messi's Argentina do? Can they finally win something for him, the national team, in a way? They haven't. They've always crapped the bed. They've always underperformed. They've always left him in tears in major competitions in a way that I guess only Sisyphus or Arsene Wenger could truly humanly understand. So I'm going to take this shot of Jägermeister, Dave, out. Oh! And it tells me, nope. <laughs> the challenge for Messi is that the tournament's on ESPN+. Plus. It's got no Ray Hudson. Yeah. And I'm rationally starting to believe Lionel Messi does not know what to do on a football field when he doesn't have Ray Hudson barking orders at him from the commentary booth. Oh, Ray Ray, he's the puppet master. It's like the observer effect, Rod. It doesn't really happen in the same way if Ray Hudson is not watching it. He's an um, observer effect. He's a Vulcan mind warp. He's a Star Trek and he's got a beater down his pants and it sits a max. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Rog, my breakfast Jägermeister tastes of England's under-21s, Roger. They play France today at 3 p.m. Eastern time in Italia. I'm tasting a 1-0 England win. Very pragmatic. James Madison off a free kick. Tough group for England, Rog. Uh, France, Croatia, and Romania. This is a proper tournament. I.e. one that England might win. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Uh, Or probably won't. There are many other ways to connect to us, Rog, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers Bald Mart. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Bald Mart, we get a tiny percentage that allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Roger? A book! Whoa. The Collected Poems... Of Philip Larkin. Bye. Guess who wrote it, David? Who? Philip Larkin. Whoa, no. Oh, yeah. He did it all himself for big boy words. Trick question. I just taped some films that our friend John Green is making for the Poetry Foundation, in which I had to choose my favourite ever book of poetry. And I pulled this one off my bookshelf. I've owned it since I was a kid, since I think I was about nine when I first was taught Larkin at school. I brought this book for thousands and thousands of friends over the years. Philip Larkin, if you don't know who it was, he was like the classic English curmudgeon. But buried amidst his darkness, his negativity, and his wonderful occasional nihilism that he baked into his poems, like this be the verse, there are moments of true human optimism, glory, beauty, that are all the more powerful for emerging out of nowhere as they do, like the poem The Mower, which I quote so often, GFOPs, in which the poet inadvertently kills a hedgehog while mowing the lawn. Just stay with me for a second, dear listener. He then zooms out in the final lines to focus on one of his favourite topics, and my favourite topic, death. And oh, he you just, love death. He just concludes, he says, it's always the same. We should be careful of each other. We should be kind. While there is still time. Oh, Larkin. Words to live by, David. Okay, are you sitting down? Always. I am putting in the board mark this week, Roger. Yes. A book! Wow! A book! A book that I'm actually reading. Uh, it's only The Castle on Sunset, Life, <gasps> Death, Love, Art and Scandal at Hollywood's Chateau Marmont. Oh my God, are you Dawn in it? Levy. Well, I'm basically in it. On the front cover, Rog, is a picture of the Chateau Marmont, the yeah. incredible hotel at the, so pretty much at the intersection of Present Heights on Sunset, where 
Hollywood used to end and the sort of the badlands of West Hollywood used to start. It is this incredible hotel, this incredible building that was built in the 1920s. On the front cover of the book, Rog, there is a picture of the hotel. And then to the left is a palm tree, one sole palm tree standing next to it, sort of framing the chateau. That palm tree is in my back garden, Rog. That's my palm tree. So I feel that this book is really about my castle. Are you suing? no, I'm not. What? But but you didn't have the right to yeah, use my pop. Yeah, um, you're American no, now. Sue, I'm not. I'm I'm quite happy with them using my palm tree. Image I'm right. reading all about the hotel where I spend almost every day of my life, um, and actually my house that was built by the same guy who built the chateau. It's a uh, it's remarkable. It's reading a history of my own of my own manor, Rog, and I'm uh, enjoying it uh, massively. So, what does it cost? Eighteen dollars and thirty seven cents on Amazon. The the book, yeah, and it costs nothing, dear listener, to go to the Chateau Marmont and urinate against Davos palm tree, which I'm sure many of you do now, and yeah. many of you will do now after. You're gonna have to call ahead for a reservation because they probably won't <laughs> let you in through the doors. It's quite quite exclusive, Roger. Do you just take a waz on the uh, on the palm tree <laughs> tree? <laughs> You've opened yourself up to chaos, Dave. You really have. No, you sound so excited about it. Next time I'm in LA, Dave, all I'm saying was it wasn't me. <laughs> I think we know. I've got so many cameras around here, Roger. I'll know it is you. I can't wait to watch that video. Okay, you can follow us on Twitter at Miniblazers at MC Davies at Rog Bennett on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies. On Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You buy a book, the Encyclopedia Blazer Tanica for yourself, your new football-loving friends. It's available at all good booksellers and on Amazon. Roger Vendepunkt. War pig. Who wants to sex with Tombo? I like snacks. Balls win. Balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Got a rock on me. Kung Fu Fighting America. Oh, Dave, I love you. Love you too, Roger. And I hope your next Chelsea manager's Nick Nurse. <laughs> Carly Lloyd! <laughs>